Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. I'm going to continue our three-week series on this three-step process that Josh was giving me grief for, but actually I stand by some of these wild and radical claims that I've made, which is that this three-step process that we're kicking off 2023 with, if you commit in integrity to following this three-step process and implementing it into your life on a daily basis, it will, and again, don't want to overhype it, but it will radically, dramatically transform your life. You'll never be the same ever again. Money back guarantee was what I said you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so... Let's just jump straight into it, but because I know there's a few people here that weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we'll just do a really quick uh, recap. This three-step process, who can remember step one? Yell it out to me. Find where God is. That's great. So we had a bit of fun a couple of weeks ago uh, about the fact that God is everywhere, but actually the Bible talks a lot about setting aside time and a place to connect with God in a unique way. This idea that God is everywhere, but there are spaces and places and times in our life, this is the language that I used, spaces, places, and times in our day where it just feels like maybe God is more available, more accessible, easier to connect with, and maybe it's just because of the headspace that we're in. Maybe it's just because we've set aside the time, we've gone to you know, quiet and the distractions, we're a bit more focused. I don't know what the reason is, but there are definitely times, places, and spaces in our days and in our weeks and in our, the rhythm of our life where we need to recognize that God is more present or maybe we are more present, more easy Uh, open to receiving, whatever language you want to use. But there are places and spaces and times in your day where you have to pursue God. And the Bible is filled with uh, verses about pursuing God. The writer of Hebrews says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In James, it says that if we draw near to him, then he will draw near to us. This idea that we need to be pursuing God. And so uh, step number one of this three-step process is to find where God is in your life. Find the space in your life, the place in your life, the time in your rhythm where you can connect with God. I'm reading a book at the moment. Um, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy called John Mark Comer. And some of you will remember that I said I was reading that like three months ago. But I figure if there's any book that you can take three months to read, it's a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So I am working my way through it very, very slowly. And he's got some great stuff in there. I mean, I recommend it. I'll I'll read a quote out for you in just a minute. But he makes this observation uh, out of Luke chapter 5, where it says about Jesus, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And he talks about the fact that no less than nine times in the book of Luke does Luke say Jesus left He went out, he found a quiet space, a lonely place on his own, no one else with him, just Jesus. And he made the the comment that you can see a direct parallel between the busier that Jesus gets, the more in demand that Jesus gets, the more famous that Jesus gets, the more demand on his time that Jesus has. There is a direct parallel between an increase in that and an increase in the time that he gets away to spend with his father. And here's a quote from the book, which I just love. found it so challenging. 
I took a photo of it and sent it to my whole team. It says this, in Luke's gospel in particular, you can chart Jesus' life along two axis points. The busier and more in demand and famous Jesus became, and the more he withdrew to his quiet place to pray. How about this for a challenge? Usually for us, it is the exact opposite. When we get over busy and life is hectic and people are vying for our time, the quiet place is the first thing to go rather than our first go-to. The first thing we lose is unhurried time to just sit with God in the quiet, to pray, read a psalm, take an internal inventory, let our souls catch up with our bodies. In seasons of busyness, we need more time in the quiet place, not less, definitely not less. And he talks about uh, the idea that somewhere along the line, and, and I agree with him, somewhere along the line, I don't know, the last 10, 15, 20 years, whenever it was, somewhere along the line, that this idea of having a daily quiet time kind of got shoved into this, this notion that that's, that's like a religious fundamentalist expression. How many people, older people, how many of you grew up with just this understanding that you were supposed to have a quiet time? Like that's, that's what we did, right? We grew up, you grew up in the 80s, the 90s, you had quiet times. That was what everybody did. Usually it was in the morning, you know, you get a bit of coffee or whatever, you get up early, you read your Bible, you pray, you're talking to God about stuff, you're journaling, whatever it might be. That's what we did. And then somewhere, somehow, over the last however many number of years, that's just become like not cool. It's like, oh, if, you, if you're stuck in this routine of I have to read my Bible every day, it's because you're, you're too religious. And I just want to reclaim the quiet time. And I want to tell you, particularly young people, if you have bought into this idea that reading your Bible every day is some religious overexpression, it's not. The Bible is filled with verses about connecting with God daily, with reading your Bible daily. It is not uncool to have a quiet time every day. It is absolutely critical to your walk with Jesus. So what we've got to do is we've got to find where God is. Step two was hear what God says. And Jared preached about this last Sunday, and he talked about the you know, the three kind of helpful tips that he had. And one was, of course, reading your Bible. He said, you've got to get your Bible and you've got to read it. Number two, he talked about praying in tongues. And he said, use the gift of tongues that the Bible talks about. Use it. And then number three, write it. And he talked about the power of journaling. And those are all great and helpful techniques and tips. And if there's one word that I wanted to use to sum up this idea of hearing from God, it's the word practice. You know, you can't get good at anything without practice. I was talking with Jess, my eldest, about this during the week. We went out for a bit of a daddy-daughter hangout time, went down to pack and save, got some sliced ham and some cheese and some rolls, and we went down to the river, and we got lost, and we got, we got prickles in our knees and stuff because we thought the river was that way, but it wasn't. It was just a thicket, and we had to go back the other way. And eventually, we ended up lying down on the grass, looking up at the blue sky as the clouds are going past, eating filled rolls, and we're talking about God. And we're talking about hearing from God. And, you know, Jess is only 12, and she's like, I'd like to hear from God more. And seriously, if there, if there were one thing, I think if there were one thing that you said to me as a father, what's one thing you want for your kids more than anything else? I would say the, like, to recognize when God's talking to them. I think that would be the I would put that above, like, you know, even being a Christian. Like, because what does being a Christian mean? 
you know, I, I want them in church every Sunday. Well, what does that, you know, actually achieve? But if you can hear and recognize when God's talking to you, then I trust that God will take care of everything else. So if there's one thing that I could wish for my kids, if there's one thing I could wish for any one of you, it would be that you hear and recognize God's voice. And so we're talking about it. Like, how do you do it? And I said to Jess, who's learning the piano, I said, well, Jess, you're, you're like really good at the piano now. And she is. She's really good at the piano. She sits down, she plays the piano, and it's like, wow, you're really good. But when she first started, she sucked. She's terrible. Like we've got these little wee videos that we took when she's like four playing the piano and like, you're terrible, right? Like just, just terrible, doesn't know what she's doing. And then you go, well, what's the difference between Jessica then, who was terrible at the piano, and then Jessica now? And the only thing that's changed is practice. She's just practiced and practiced and practiced. And you know what practice is? Practice is just getting it wrong over and over and over again. That's all practice is. You get it wrong over and over and over again. And then you get it right one time out of 10. And then you get it wrong again and again. And then you get it right two times. And, and I was the same when I started piano for years. It's just you play it, you play it, uh, wrong. You play it, play it, uh, wrong. You play it, uh, wrong. And then you get it right one time. And you're like, right, it's possible. I've done it one time. And I can play it again, get it wrong. And it's, it's just, you need to have that same attitude when it comes to hearing and recognize the voice of God. This attitude that I'm going to get it wrong over and over and over and over and over again, but that's how I get it right. And if there's one thing that I've noticed about us as human beings, it's that we all have, all of us, have a tendency to over, over kind of expect what we can achieve in a short amount of time. It, Every human's the same. They're like, oh, I want to do that. Like, how many people, be honest, how many people look at Abel and go like, oh, my gosh, what a, what a specimen. <laughs> All right, he's like six foot four. He's trim. He plays guitar. He's got like the full package, right? I'm not going to lie. Not, uh, nights have gone by where I've lain in bed and I've prayed, like, God, make me more like Abel. You know, and uh, how many people have at some point in their life thought, "I'm going to learn the guitar"? How many people have done that? Right? Look at the hands going up. How many of you, after like two weeks, were like, "Why am I not awesome at this? This is way harder than I thought." And then, how many people quit learning the guitar? Right? Like, yeah, pretty much everybody, right, except Abel, and. Because that's what human beings do. We overestimate like what we can achieve in a short space of time. And then we also have a tendency to underestimate what we can achieve over a long period of time by just doing little bits at a time. And the truth is that if you had just lowered your expectations around, okay, I think, you know, I was hoping to be kind of Eric Clapton level within three or four weeks, but that's not happening. If you just lower and go, well, okay, but if I just keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, in like three or four years, I might be actually pretty good at the guitar. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have decided that this is the year I'm going to learn Spanish. And I haven't learned any Spanish. Nada. <sighs> oh, a little bit. Right, And that's because every year I'm like, by the end of this year, I'm going to be fluent in Spanish, which is just stupid because I've got like zero minutes in my day at the moment to learn Spanish. But if I had five years ago when I first started to decide to learn Spanish, it just chipped away at it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Like five years later, I'd be pretty good at it. 
instead of wasting $109.99 every January on Duolingo because it rolls over automatically and I don't have the courage to admit to myself that I'm not learning it and cancel my subscription. So every January, Liz is like, why have you spent another $110 on Duolingo? And I'm like, because this is the year that I learned Spanish. So I just want to encourage you when it comes to hearing God's voice, just adopt this mindset. Over the next year, two years, three years, five years, I'm going to work on it, and I'm going to get it wrong over and over and over and over again, but that's what practice is. That's how it works. Don't think, oh, you know, in two weeks' time, I'm going to be getting full-on visions and trances and downloads from God and journaling all this stuff. Like, that's not how it works. Just take it easy on yourself, but don't do the guitar thing and quit because you're not amazing at it straight away. All right? That's the encouragement. All right, so now we get to step three. Who knew what step three was? Gene actually texted me during the week, told me what it was. He got it right. Step three is do... Oh, was it Tearaway, was it? Okay. Good job. I thought God can't be talking that clearly to Gene with a moustache like that. So <clears throat> if, God, if Gene was really hearing from God, he would have shaved. Um <clears throat> Do what God asks. This is the three-step process, guys. I'm, I'm giving you gold. I'm giving you the tools that you need to change your life. Every day, if you go, I am going to find where God is for me today. Maybe it's out in the woods going for a walk. Maybe it's you know getting up early this morning and reading my Bible. Maybe it's not watching TV late at night, but doing a pre-meeting with you know my spouse or a friend or coming down here on a Monday night. Maybe it's whatever it might be. I'm going to find where God is today for me. When I find where God is, and I've removed distractions from my life, and actually prioritized intentionally to give Him my full attention, I am going to hear what God says. And that's going to take practice. And I'm going to write stuff down. And like Jared said, I'm going to be vulnerable enough to take it to someone that I respect and say, do you think this is God? I mean, I did what Jared said and I wrote it down in red pen, so it must be, but is it? You're going to hear what God says. But then here comes the last thing, and this is super important. You are going to do what God asks. You find where God is, awesome. You hear what God says, fantastic. You don't do this third step, all of my promises are null and void. You must do all three of these steps. Find where he is, hear what he says, do what he asks. You know, the Bible says in James, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. That's a really terrifying verse in a way. There are people out in the world that don't listen to the word and they are not deceived in that they haven't convinced themselves that they're something that they're not. They know what they are. Like you've got, the Bible talks about it. Jesus says through Revelation, he says, you know, you can be hot and you can be cold. I'd rather you were one or the other, not this kind of in-between thing where I go to church and I tick boxes and I think I'm a Christian and I have this relationship, but actually I'm just listening to stuff, but I'm not doing what it says. James is, is brutal. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I've talked about this before, but I love the idea 
I love thinking about what was going through their mind when they were writing it. So you've got James, the brother of Jesus, who's trying to communicate to the people that he's writing to, hey, it's important that you do what God tells you to do. Don't just read your Bible. Don't just read the Scriptures. Don't just listen to teachings. Don't just download podcasts. Don't just go to church. Actually do what you're being told to do. And so James is going, how do I, how do I put this into a word picture that people don't understand? And so James comes up with this idea. He says, it's like looking at a mirror and then going away and forgetting what it looks like. And I've used this analogy before, but how many, let's just, let's just pick on women for a second and I'll pick on men soon. But how many women get up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and think, yikes. <laughs> Show of hands, please. How many... Right, you get up and you look in the mirror and you're just like, hair is all over the place, right? There's, you've got like zit like right there, thank God for foundation, all this kind of stuff. But you look in the mirror and you're just like, this, this needs work. Just, and just like, don't put your arm up, but just like, go, like wink at me so I can... Right, you get up, you look in the mirror, and you go, this needs work. What has the mirror done? The mirror has revealed to you the areas of your face that need attention. Right? You got like a booger hanging down there. And... The mirror reveals what needs attention. But James says, if you look in the mirror and you're just like, you know, hair out, zit there, booger hanging down, eye crusted over whatever it might be, and then you go, oh, look, that's terrible. And then you turn away, and as soon as you turn away, you completely forget that that's what you look like. And then you go out into society, and you're walking around town, and you're doing your shopping, and you're catching up with friends, and no one's got the guts to tell you that you've got food in your teeth or whatever it might be. James says that's what it's like. That's what reading your Bible is like and then not doing what it says. It's the same thing. It's like you're looking at this, this beautiful Word of God, which is revealing to you what you need to change, what needs to be adapted, what needs to be transformed, where you need to grow. And then you shut it and you carry on with your day and you don't do any of it. You're like that person. It's a brilliant analogy. Good on you, James. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting, see, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I want all of us to be blessed in what we do. I said a couple of weeks ago, I want this year to be the best year that you have ever, ever had. You're going to find where God is. You're going to hear what God says. You're going to do what God asks. And so in the interest of three, Jared did three things last week. I've got three things that you need. There needs to be in your life if you want to do what God says. And we're talking about obedience here. There are so many verses that I could have picked up, pulled out, put on the screen in front of you. Jesus talks a lot about, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Those who love me, obey what I say. To obey is better than sacrifice, right? There are so many Bible verses about obedience that I could have put up there. So trust me when I say this is a big theme in the Bible. But three things there needs to be in your life if you want to be obedient, if you want to do what God asks. And to make it easy for you to remember, I've formed a little bit of a, an acronym, and the acronym is ACT. So when you're thinking about obedience, you're thinking about doing stuff, you're thinking about acting on what you've heard, you can remember these are the three things that needs to be in my life, A-C-T. 
You guys don't appreciate how much effort I put into doing this kind of stuff. I could have just picked three words and put them up there, but I realized that two of them were C and a T, and I was like, God, if I could just get an A word at the front, it's going to be way better. Actually, initially it spelled cat, and God said, that's dumb. Move it around the other way. Nah, just joking. So these are the three things that there needs to be in your life. I'm going to hit you with some truths. Is that all right? Let's just start the year off. Just, I'm just going to play a straight bet down the middle, offend a few people, and then you can go home. The first thing that needs to be in your life if you want to do what God asks is there needs to be an abdication. Do you guys know what abdication means? What abdicate means? Kids don't. Abdication, it's a word that you use to describe when like a royal person surrenders their right to rule. In fact, if you look up the word abdicate in the dictionary, it means to renounce or relinquish a throne, a right, a power, a claim, a responsibility, or the like. If you want to develop a lifestyle where you are able to do what God asks without there being this massive to and fro, will I, won't I argument, you need to understand one very important thing. In fact, Josh touched on it when he got up and read that Bible verse. And this is the one thing. Your life is not your life. When you accepted the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, you said, I will take that beautiful sacrifice that you made on the cross where you paid the price for my sins. I accept that. There is a two-way transaction that takes place. It's often referred to as the beautiful exchange. And I've said this from the front before. It's a heck of fine print, but the fine print's there, and that is that Jesus didn't come and say, hey, look, I'm going to give you my life. That's it. He said, look, I want to exchange my life for your life. And again, one of the things you've got to remember, when we read our Bible, we are reading our Bible so far behind the eight ball because the Bible was written at a different time in a different culture to a different group of people. It was written to Jewish people. And when we read it, we read the Bible in our current time, in our current culture, with our current mindsets, which are very much influenced by the Greek, uh, you know, sort of Roman philosophers. And so there's a lot of nuances that we miss when we read a Bible. If you were a Jewish person, if you were alive at that time, you would understand a very simple truth straight away without it needing to be explained to you. And that is that if somebody saves your life, then the, the rule is that your life then belongs to them. In many cultures today, that's, that's still the case. And so everyone would have understood when Jesus said, hey, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to save your life, that they would go, okay, well, that then means that my life is yours. In fact, Paul literally says it in Ephesians. He's talking about honoring God with our bodies. And he kind of is coming at it from a few different angles. And then he sums it up like this. He says, look, guys, you need to honor God with your bodies because you are not your own. You were bought at a price. The price was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And now I'm going to pick on men because men struggle with this a lot. And I don't know whether they struggle with it more than women or it's just that I talk with more men about it. But guys, you got to let go of the ego. Jesus said, those who try and hold on to their life will lose it. But whoever gives up their life, for my sake, will find it. One of the reasons that we struggle so much with obedience is because we have not recognized that nothing we have is ours and our life is not ours. 
Our life belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. And so if you want to live a lifestyle of obedience, we have to start by recognizing that the first thing there needs to be in our life is an abdication. Where we say, God, I renounce and I relinquish my rights, my power, my claims, my responsibilities. They are yours to carry. We can talk about it probably a little bit more later in the year, but uh, you know, the Bible talks a lot about Jesus being our Lord and Savior. Two separate words, our Lord and our Savior. And most Christians are cool with the Savior bit, but they're not so stoked on the Lord part. But you can't have one without the other. If God comes to you and says, hey, I want you to give X amount of money away, it's fine. It's his money. If he says, I want you to give this amount of time or energy, that's fine. Your life is not your own. It's his. All power, all claims, any rights, they're his. So start there. That's the A. Gets easier after this point. Right? The, the C is courage. You need to have courage in your life. There needs to be courage in your life. It takes courage to do what God asks because God never asks you to do easy, boring things. I don't know if you've noticed that about God, but He's an exciting, dynamic, big God who asks you to do exciting, dynamic, big things like open gelato stores and you know, give extravagant amounts of money away. It's two separate things. He hasn't asked us to do that yet. just want to be clear in case you think I'm claiming something which I'm not. But you need courage. In fact, if you read through your Bible, every time God asks someone to do something, it very often is followed by him encouraging them to have courage. I mean, look at Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I mean, this is not like a great pep talk. If you stop and think about it, if you didn't know what God had asked Joshua to do, which maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the context, but if God has followed up his request with this statement, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, I'm going to be with you, does it sound like God's asked Josh to do a small thing or a big thing? God asks us to do big things, and we need to have courage. Now, one point on courage, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the feeling that you get that helps you overcome the fear. I've said this to my kids many times when I try and twist their arm to get on a roller coaster or whatever. You know, and they're like, I don't want to get on the roller coaster because, you know, it's scary. And then Jess is like, I'm not scared, I'm brave. And I'm like, no, you're not brave if you're not scared. If you're not scared to do something, then you're not brave for doing it. You haven't mustered up all this courage to hop on a roller coaster if you love roller coasters and can't wait to get on it. Hey, Jess. But if it scares you, that's when the courage comes in. And the courage is what helps you to get over the fear and do it anyway. And so again, if you want to be someone that does what God asks, recognize you have to have courage in your life because God will ask you to do things that terrify you. I, I, I don't have time to go into it now, but I remember vividly sitting at a conference once and God coming to me, uh, or just speaking to me in the conference and asking me to do a specific thing and it was so terrifying to me that I had to leave the room and I had to ring Liz. I still remember I went out, the conference was at a school and they had a, you know, 
sports ground outside. And I remember going out and walking into the middle of the sports ground and ringing Liz and saying, hey, I feel like God wants me to do this. And I was hyperventilating and I was heaving with tears. Like, have you ever had that? Like, <gasps> like terrified. And you'd be like, well, now I want to know what it is. But it was, it, was, it was to do with giving a certain amount of money away. It wasn't like anything like God asked me to, you know, jump up on stage and do words of knowledge or whatever. He just gave me a specific figure that he wanted me to give away. And it was a very large, large figure for us. And uh, I needed to check with Liz that it was okay. But it was scary. I was terrified doing it because I was like, I can't afford to do this. I don't know if this is the right thing. Have I heard God on it? All that kind of stuff. It takes courage. So recognize if you are not, let me put it like this. If you were to go home at the end of the day, you were to take an inventory of your life, the decisions that you're making, what you're doing day to day, I would say if you can't come up with a number of examples in recent times where you have felt fear and then this courage has come in and you've done it anyway, then you need to expand your life because you're playing too small playing too safe. If you can't come up with a couple of times where you've been like, man, I was scared to do that, but I felt like God was asking me to do it, then you're playing too safe. Life is supposed to be scary. That's why we have God. He says, look, I'll be with you wherever you go. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't let that fear get in you. Don't let that discouragement knock you back. I got it. Cool. That's the C. And then the last one is trust. I was going for a walk this week, and uh, I was not even necessarily talking to God about anything, but um, all of a sudden, uh, he says this to me. He says, where there is understanding, trust is not necessary. And where there is trust, understanding is not needed. I was like, oh, that's one of those things that Josh is too dumb to think of by himself. I think that might be a God thing. And so I, muddled, I sent it to a friend of mine. I said, hey, I think God sent me this this morning. And he said, yep, that, that sounds like God. Where there is understanding, trust is not necessary. Where there is trust, understanding is not needed. You have to have trust in your life if you want to do what God asks. And trust and understanding cannot exist in the same place. Just think about it for a second. If I ask you to do something and you have full understanding of what I'm asking you to do, why I'm asking you to do it, and what the outcome's going to be, how much trust do we need in our relationship for you to do that? You don't need any trust. Some stranger could come in that I don't know from a bar of soap, and if he asked me to do something and I had 100% understanding of what I was being asked, why I was being asked, or what was going to happen, I don't need to trust him because I have my understanding. But on the flip side, if someone asks you to do something and you've got no understanding, why are you asking me to do this? What's going to happen? Where are you coming from here? That's when you need a huge amount of trust. In fact, I got creative today, or the, and I drew this cool graph. Look at it. This is just me being nerdy. <laughs> I was actually working on a bunch of spreadsheets for our shop, and I took a break to do this. This is my trust versus understanding graph. Look, you've got trust on the left-hand side. If you've got 100% trust, you need 0% understanding. If you've got 100% understanding, you need 0% trust. Does that make sense? I love the story of Gideon in chapter 6 and 7, 8 of Judges. Who's heard the story of Gideon? This is a cool story, right? Gideon's just minding his own business, and I'll wrap up with this. He's minding his own business, and an angel of the Lord comes, and he says, Gideon, 
you're the guy that God has decided is going to set the Israelites free. Because at the time, the Israelites were under the oppressive yoke of the Midianites. They were like these marauders that would come in from time to time and just ravage the Israelite towns and villages and they would destroy their crops so that they couldn't grow anything and they couldn't make any money. And they were just horrible people. They'd come in and they would just periodically just attack the Israelites. And so the Israelites were living in fear of the Midianites. And the Bible, which is often a very poetic book, describes the Midianites. It says they'd come in, that camp, and their, their tents and their camels and their horses and their hordes were more numerous than the sands on the seashore, which is just a beautiful poetic picture of like, there was a lot of them, right? And so Gideon is one day, he's hiding in a, in a wine press. Angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you're the guy that God has called to set the Israelites free. And so eventually Gideon calls all of the Israelite fighting men together. 32,000 men come together. And God says, all right, that's good. Here's what you're going to do next. You're going to go to these guys and you're going to say, hey, if you don't think this is going to work, if you don't believe in me as a leader, if you don't think God is with us, if you're worried that we're all going to get annihilated, you can leave. Now, I'm a leader. I would say, God, I don't think that's a very good strategy. Like, if I stood up the front and I said, hey, guys, this is what we're doing as a church. This is where we're going. But if you don't think I'm right, if you don't think God's with us, if you don't think it's going to work, if you're worried about the consequences, leave now. And then two-thirds of you got up and walked out the door, I'd be like, great, that's awesome. 22,000 men said, we don't have faith in you, Gideon. We don't think you can do this. This is a massacre waiting to happen. And 22,000 people left. And he gets down to 10,000. And then God goes, yeah, that's cool. And then God says to him, all right, you've got 10,000 people left. I want you to fire. And these are the 10,000 that have said they do believe in Gideon. So imagine that. These are 10,000 people that have said, no, we do believe in you. We do think God's with you. We're on board with this. We're excited about it. We think we can take this. It's going to happen. Let's go. And God says, I want you to fire 9,700. And Gideon says, why? And God says, because they drink funny. That's the dumbest reason I have ever heard in my life to fire 97% of your staff because they drink weird. Can you imagine at some point getting going, I don't understand what's happening. But he had trust. He must have had trust. And of course he goes on and with those 300 guys, they completely destroy the Midianites, which is just an amazing story. You should go and read it. It's a fun story to read, right? So there needs to be in your life an abdication of power, of rights, of lordship over your life. There needs to be courage. You need to be courageous, and you need to have trust. A-C-T, you're going to act. And that's, those are the three ingredients, really. There's probably more, but those are three key ingredients that you need if you want to do what God asks. All right, so you're going to find where God is. You're going to hear what God says, and you're not going to give up if you don't hear anything on day one or week one or month one or term one. You're going to just keep going, and you're going to go, this just takes practice. It takes practice to quiet your soul. It takes practice to separate out all of life's distractions. I don't think there has ever been a time in the history of the world 
where there has been more distractions than the time that we're living in now. I talk about The Chosen quite a lot, like I enjoy watching The Chosen. We literally watched an episode the other day, and uh, the disciples were sitting outside Peter's house, bored. They're just sitting there. A couple of them were in the doorway, and they're just, you know, throwing stones on the ground. And Jess said, what are they doing? And I said, that's what people used to do before they had cell phones. They got bored. You would go to the toilet and you would think about life. Now you check Facebook because, you know, someone might have liked something while you were on the dunny. Right? And, and I look at the way that they live back then. I'm like, there's, there's a part of that that's just really attractive. There's no distractions. There's not all this stuff vying for your time. In that book that I was reading, The uh, Relentless Elimination of Hurry, he talks about the fact, and I don't know how you quantify this, but he said all of the research that's being done on our concentration spans and our attention spans, he said the average human being now has an attention span of nine seconds. That's how long we're able to focus on one thing before other things start pinging around in our brain. And he said, I want to put that into context. A goldfish can concentrate for 12 seconds. It's a good book to read. It's very challenging, right? But find where God is, hear what God says, and then do what God asks. And I promise you, if you take this three-step process and you just do that every day, Every day you find where God is. Every day you sit down, you hear what God's saying. Every day you say, okay, God, I'll do that today. I'll text that person. I'll apologize for that thing. I'll work on that. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do whatever it might be. And you just do it every day. I promise you, by the end of this year, probably sooner, your, your entire faith journey will feel like it's on fire. And... I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know for my life, when I look at this, I'm like, man, I have, I have not done this awesomely. I don't know if I've ever done this awesomely. Is that cool? I think, oh, yeah. All right, so we're going to start again. Step one. It, no, I'm joking. <clears throat> I don't know why that's at the end of my slide. What we'll do is I'll get Ben to jump up on the keys, and all we're going to do just to wrap up, is I just want to give you a couple of minutes to just let that sink in. Because life is so just on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Uh, my life has never been so full as it is at the moment. And the challenge for Liz and me and our family is to find those, those moments in our life where we can just rest God's talking to me a lot at the moment about how much time I spend on my phone. And it's not that I'm doing anything wrong on my phone. It's just that it's not wise to spend as much time on my phone as I do. Plus, it's not hygienic to take your phone into the toilet. <clears throat> Although sometimes, parents can relate. Sometimes it's like, it's the only place I can get away from my freaking kids. Oh, you're all here. Sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just filtering inappropriate comments that I need to not say. It's all right. So you just start playing, Ben, like, like worshipy stuff? Yeah, a good one. Like church music, don't just play like random, you know, <laughs> Billy Joel or anything. 
And all we're going to do is just want you to sit for two minutes. I don't want you to think about what's coming up after lunch. I don't want you to think about what you've got to do. I don't want you to think about what's happened. I just want you to try your absolute hardest for two minutes to just focus on God and let, let what we've talked about over the last three weeks sink in. And just ask yourself, like, what am I, how am I going to respond to that? Is this going to be one of those messages, one of these series that I go home and I go, that was fun, and then I just carry on the way I have? Or, or am I going to actually grasp what's been shared over the last three weeks and do things differently? And when it comes to quiet times too, I, I think part of the reason that the pendulum has swung so far one way is because for a, for a while it's easy to fall into this trap of feeling guilty about not doing stuff. And I don't want you to feel guilty. Don't let guilt come on you. Don't let condemnation come on you. Don't let embarrassment or shame or like, oh, I should have been doing that. Just draw a line in the sand and go, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to make an effort to do that. And there'll be days where it doesn't happen and that's okay. But I'm going to work really hard to make sure there's not five days in a row where it doesn't happen. Three weeks in a row where it doesn't happen. Heavenly Father, I just lift up every single person that's here, every single person watching online or listening to the podcast. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our spirits, like your word says, as deep calls unto deep. Lord, that you would just impress upon every single person here, Lord, the importance of spending time with you. Lord, that you would show us where We need to shift priorities, rearrange commitments, change habits. Father, I ask that what is important to you would be important to us. And what is not something that stresses you out would not stress us out. Father, just in these next two minutes, just be with us, I pray, God. focus on one thing is is really hard and and that's some of the things that we don't we don't recognize like the pace of our culture and our society we think oh it's just it's just normal because we're used to it but when you sit down and just try and focus on one thing for even two minutes you realize how fast your brain is working how much stuff you've got going on in there. It's just pinging around like crazy. Uh, the guy that wrote the book that I was talking about, he, he wrote the book because he burnt out. He was a pastor that was running multiple campuses. He was in his late 20s, early 30s, very successful, lots of people coming to his churches. and He was working these long hours and he burnt out and he ended up having to take a sabbatical, take a break for three months. And he said, we just had three months off as a family and we went to the beach and we did nothing. And he said, it sounds amazing, He said, but I literally had physical withdrawal symptoms. He said, I was like an addict. He got the shakes. He got headaches. uh, He was very high anxiety levels. And it was just because his body and his brain was so used to always doing stuff. When he stopped and just tried to rest, his body shut down. He couldn't handle it. And so even like a little wee exercise, like, okay, I'm going to spend five minutes a day. The Bible talks so often about meditating 
on the Word of God, about getting in the presence of God and resting with God. He leads me beside quiet pastures. Uh, And yet so many of us are unable to be quiet, to quiet our soul, to quiet our minds. So just work on that for starters, eh? Um, Your quiet time doesn't need to be this huge, like I've got three lexicons out and the Greek and the Hebrew and I'm studying the Word of God. It could just be I'm going to find five minutes to go outside. I remember talking to a friend of mine the other day and he was talking about how he'd read a book. I'll finish with this. Look at that. Even phones demanding our time. And that's all right. And this friend of his had read a book and it was all about learning to quiet your mind. And one of the challenges was he had to go out and sit down and look at a tree for one hour. And he said, it doesn't sound like it's that hard. He said, but it almost drove him insane. You just sit down, don't take your phone, look at a tree. I'm just going to look at this tree for one hour. And after two minutes, he was beside himself. Like it's our brains are just being absolutely bombarded. And then we wonder sometimes why we struggle to hear God's voice. So much stuff going on. That's right, Chris. Takes the renewing of our mind. So that's a little bit of what we're doing here this morning where I'm saying, hey, renew your mind. Quiet times are important. Learn to do them. You guys all good? Excellent. Okay. Well, we're going to call it there.